The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC, and good to see you. Welcome to those online. I'm always surprised uh, by who I get reached out to from time to time. I was like, I had no idea um, you were watching online. So that's always encouraging, and we um, are encouraged by that. So those of you who may be watching, a little like or a thumbs up from time to time is encouraging to us, and we know, hey, um, we're not actually doing this for nothing. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. And we'll continue our study. I think that sometimes um, we think in terms of our spiritual development and growth. And so we go through these ups and these downs. And I think sometimes it can, it can be a little challenging for people to figure out, well, how do I grow? Like, how, how does one start this journey of, of growth and spiritual development? It's called, um, in, in theological terms, the word to describe it is sanctification is that uh, once we meet the Lord, we go through a process of sanctification, and that is basically spiritually growing in the Lord. And so as each year passes, we ought to be growing in our relationship with our Lord and what in our character uh, that is really learning how to take on more and more of the character of Christ and look more and more like He looked. And so we learned in this study in Romans so far about the wrath of God and how, man, Paul, he just takes some time to lay out, geez, like it just feels so heavy, like the wrath of God that is going to fall on mankind. And in the midst of that, he demonstrates or teaches us that um, part of the reason for that wrath is that man attempts to circumvent God's truth that has been revealed to him. He suppresses what has been revealed, holds it down, and God gives that individual over to a uh, really a cycle of depravity. Their thinking becomes depraved, and thinking they are wise, they become even more foolish as they hold down the truth of, of God and who He is and what He has revealed to us. And it sort of spins a person into this cycle of irrationality, um, in the way that they make decisions, and the way they draw conclusions, and how they invent their own truth. It sounds a lot like the world we're living in today. Um, and, and the Bible has an answer for everything that we would ever experience. And so there is a cycle of depravity that one can enter. Today we're going to see that there is also another cycle, a cycle of spiritual development and, and growth that is a fantastic place to be. And that is our heart and my heart as your pastor and my desire for you is to learn how to enter into that cycle of development and, and really, you know, discipleship and learning to follow Jesus, learning how to hear his voice, learning how to obey him and walk that out on a consistent basis. And so at the end of the day, um, Belief is all we have to offer to God. It, it, it's so rooted in our belief. Even our obedience must be rooted in belief or it becomes um, a tool for the enemy to use uh, to develop, to develop self-righteousness in us. And this can even happen within people who are inside the kingdom, who know Christ, who can start to walk in a way that they have um, crossed a really thin line and things become about works, or they become about performance, they become about all the things we do instead of why we do them. And so everything that we do, we, we want our heart of obedience to come out 
of a heart of love. And in order for that to happen, it has to be rooted in faith. Everything needs to flow from our faith. And so we believe in what he has done instead of attempting to earn it. And the more our faith is rooted in what the Lord has done, the more it prompts a heart of allegiance inside of us where we want to walk out our obedience because of the love that we have for who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in our place. And so Paul takes the time to describe our state of depravity and, and, and to describe the wrath of God in order to be able to show us as he, as he takes us on that journey through the first few chapters, the beauty of the gospel. And it is, the gospel is absolutely amazing, and I think that's why um, we call it the gospel. Uh, it is because it is good news. So we jump right into Romans chapter 5. We're just going to deal with 11 verses today, and I only wanted to deal with 11 verses today because the Chiefs play at noon, right? No, uh, it's because it would, it would take too long to go further. And so he says, therefore, and so he's referring to everything he's taught us up to this point, especially that about justification, and we'll see that. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the, this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so there is a time and something, a substance of something that we can boast in. Usually boasting is not a good thing, but in this case, Paul is saying we boast in this. Jeremiah said the same thing. He said, I um, boast in the fact that I know and I understand God. And that's what's uh, being alluded to here is that we have an understanding, a, a bit of a comprehension of what it means to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. And so he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. <laughs> Just read that one more time so it might be it'll stick. What happens when we suffer? We glory in it. Now, some of you are in the midst of suffering right now, and how should you be able to respond in the midst of your suffering? There ought to be a way for you to glory in the midst of that suffering. And so he says, he goes on to show um, how, how we do that. He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, he says, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so he's, he's showing He's contrasting what happens, man, when a person tries to invent their own truth, they try to cut their own way, they try to make life um, how they want it to be lived, as opposed to what Scripture teaches, they end up into this place of, of depravity, but to the individual who begins to understand that God has done something, God calls us to something, He calls us to a life of surrender, then we go through this process of hope, and in the midst of that, um, his, the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And he says, you see, at, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, not when we got things worked out in our life, but when we were still powerless, helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. 
but God. But God, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in that helpless, powerless state, when we were apart from God, when we were enemies of God, it shows the level and depth of God's love. He died for us in that sinful state. And he says, since we now have been justified by his blood, not by our works, we are justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What does he say? He said, men, if God in the midst of us being apart from him came and he died in order to reconcile us and put us in a right standing, now that he has risen from the dead and he's living, as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus lives to make intercession for us, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God that is to come on the world through the life of Christ, if God loved us enough that he reached down and he saved us while we were still powerless and enemies, and he reached out and he touched our lives through the power uh, of what Christ accomplished on the cross. He says, man, we, we are saved through his life. And he says, uh, having been reconciled, Let's see, I like that where he talks about the much more. How much more? There are much mores in this chapter. There's a much more right here, and there's a much more next week. And, and Paul is building on that. He says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, there's a lot in here. Um, there's a lot in here for us to take away uh, about what God has done, what God is doing, and how that plays itself out in our lives. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, man, like, what does the Lord have for me? What does he want to say to me? I think Paul is showing us the effects and the benefits of justification with God. So he starts in the first few chapters, and he starts about the effects and, and the consequences of our not being reconciled to God, being at enmity with God, being apart from Him, we see all of the wrath of God begins to bear down upon a person's life. Even to the point where if a person rejects what God has laid out for him as the plan of, or the pathway of, of the completely fulfilled life, he calls it the righteousness of God, the dikaiosene, which is all that a man is originally designed to be. He says that if we reject that, then God gives one over and they feel the full weight of what God, not the full weight, they feel some of the weight of God's wrath in the here and now. It, it, he says the wrath of God is being revealed. And how is it being revealed? It's put onto a person that has that that re they're rejecting truth, they're suppressing it and holding it down. They are given over by God to depraved thinking. Their thought becomes irrational. And as it plays itself out um, in the extreme case, it even causes one to be totally messed up in how they think about sexuality. That's what Ro Romans 1 and 2 teaches us. And so when we get to Romans 4 and 5, we begin to see that just the opposite is the case is that when we walk with God and we accept in faith what he has laid out, 
He justifies us, and when a person has been justified in the eyes of God, and this is more about, this might surprise you, the gospel is more about God than it is about you, okay? The gospel touches you. The gospel is what is necessary to save you. But the reason that is more about God is that God, in all of his holiness, cannot be in a loving relationship with a creature if that creature is unholy. And so as, as we think in terms of the gospel touching our lives, it is necessary for God to justify the, the, the transaction, if you will, for him to balance the books in order for him to maintain his character and his holiness. And so what he does is he dies in our stead, and whenever we enter into a relationship with him, now that creature um, has shifted, and they can be in a relationship with God without impacting the holiness of God. That's why I say the gospel is more about God than it is about you or me. Now, it touches us, and it transforms our lives, but it transforms our lives for the sake of God. We, when we talk about wrath, we, with the wrath of God, it makes us feel like we are talking about this, this, um, this, this attribute of God that we don't like to think about because how could a loving God be wrathful? Well, logically, if you just lay it out and start to think it through, a loving God would have to be wrathful. A loving God would have to execute justice in order for there to be the possibility of love. The loving, a loving God would have to be right. A loving God would have to, be, have to do things the right way. And, and so all of humanity is guilty. So as God makes a way for humans to get right with him, he's really putting, um, he, he's, he's correcting things in such a way that he can love us. Okay, now in actuality, so he loves the world. We know that he loves the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he loves, but in order for the love to be reciprocated, there must be a sacrifice. So he makes that sacrifice himself. So the effects, what are the effects of that justification once it touches our lives? Well, here's the first one. We have peace with God. Like we enter into a place where we are at peace with God. All people, everyone, even that precious little baby that has come into your home begins life as an enemy of God. You see, we are all hostile toward the things of God. Left to ourselves and unchecked with the good news of the gospel, we will even start to fight God and enter into a war with God. And that's what you see played out in life today. And it has been since the beginning of time. It's just that today we can see it. Um, we have news in real time. We know what's happening all over the world. And we can clearly see that when a person is caught up in this place of um, moral depravity, and it, it plays itself out in wickedness, then we can see in real time that people all over are at war with God. Now, sometimes it plays itself out to the extreme where people um, commit murder. Um, they commit sexually perverted crimes. 
and take advantage of other people. They steal and they cheat. But it's also played out um, in things that are probably a little more socially acceptable. They live lives just about success and trying to get ahead and how much money can be put in the bank um, and how many experiences could be had. And they lose sight of God and they make life more about themselves. And so it's not always the person who we would socially say is way down in the depths of moral depravity. Sometimes it is a good person that is stuck in this place of separation from God. Sometimes it is a person who is doing good things so that other people can see them. Sometimes it is a person doing good things because they think that's how you earn the favor of God. And it is not. You can be in, at war with God even in your goodness that you are trying to perform in the world if your goodness is how you think that you please God. You can't please God with your goodness. You can only please God with your faith. It is by faith that we are saved. We walk by faith and not by sight. So we don't see things that need to be done and do them, and that's what pleases God. We have a heart of faith that desires and yearns to be in a love relationship with God, and out of that heart of faith, we walk out our obedience and start to do good works. And then we see a person who is at peace with God. So peace means the war is over, okay? And so anytime a war is going to be over, we've got this war going on in the world right now with Ukraine and Russia. And anytime there's going to be peace in a situation like that, whether we look at that current war or we look at wars past, World War II, eventually someone has to surrender. And when they surrender and the white flag is waved, they're saying, we are ready to enter into terms of peace. And so peace means that I have come to terms with what God has said, and so then I experience peace with God. I'm no longer in this wartime mentality. This is very important. Peace with God is not to be confused with the peace of God. Those are two totally different things. The former, peace with God, is objective. It is a fact. When I enter into a relationship through the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, when I enter into that relationship with God, I have surrendered my life. I have raised the white flag. I've said, this life is no longer mine. It is yours. And I've come to terms with what you say, how I can set, have peace with you, God. And in that moment, I am justified because of the work that was done on, on the cross of Calvary. And I make peace with God. This is why it feels so good for the sinner to come to a place where he recognizes his sin, and all of a sudden, he bursts into a heart of rejoicing. Um, he's remorseful over the sin, and he realizes, man, God has taken away my sin, and I have surrendered to that truth, and he has removed my sin as far as the east is from the, the west, and I am at peace with God, and my heart feels good as I no longer bear the shame that once was crushing me. I no longer feel the guilt, and I just recognize it's something that God has done in my life that I have accepted as a free gift, the indescribable gift that Paul talks about. At just the right time, God gave his free gift that is indescribable that we might receive it. And that is, the pe that is making peace with God. The peace of God is subjective, okay? 
So the peace of God is circumstantial, and it has to do, um, Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, he describes this peace further. He talks about, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's peace with God, and there's the peace of God. Peace with God is objective. I've, I've either made peace with God, I'm no longer at war with him, or I am. I'm either, an, uh, I'm either a friend of God or I'm an enemy of God. Those are the only two uh, types of people that exist in, in, in humanity today. The peace of God is dependent upon our posture. And when we are postured toward God, regardless of what's happening around us, we continue to bend our lives toward God rather than away from God, then we experience the peace of God. So it's impossible, or so it is possible for you to be at peace with God. God has challenged you with some new truth uh, that you didn't know before. It's not new, but it's new to you. And he's asked you to walk out some obedience. So let's say that maybe you hear the gospel for the first time and you're like, God, this makes sense to me. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. And I can't do anything about my sin problem except as, uh, other than accept the gift of grace that God has given to me, which was his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And, and I am now saved from the wrath of God. My sins are forgiven and I enter a relationship with God. Now God asks me to be obedient and walk out the ordinance of baptism. It's like, you need to be baptized. You believe, you repent, believe, and are baptized. And so you're like, well, I know I need to be baptized, and I probably should do that. And then a few weeks pass by from your salvation, and you don't get baptized. And then a few months pass by, and you're like, well, you know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, right? And he went to heaven, so baptism wasn't really necessary. I know baptism, like, but it's not really necessary. So I start to posture myself away from God. Even in something as, as simple as baptism, it could be giving, it could be serving, it could be something that you have, um, something that someone has done to you and you have not forgiven them for it. And, and you're holding on to that because of what they have done and how they have made you feel. And God has challenged you and said, hey, you know, you will be forgiven based upon how you forgive others. Why does God say that? He, because he says that if, what he's teaching us in that, Jesus is saying that if we have been transformed by the power of the cross, then we will take on his character, which is a heart of forgiveness, and we can't hold on to things that have been done to us without offering forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a real part of us as the body of Christ um, granting to other people. Other people need to be forgiven by us, and we need to forgive others. But yet, if we look at that situation and go, well, they did this to me, and they deserve to experience my wrath— then we are beginning to act like the enemy of God, um, the devil himself, and, and we don't recognize, well, we too deserve the wrath of God, yet he does not give us the wrath of God. He offers us forgiveness if we will surrender to him, and then he calls us to be forgiving people. And so if we don't forgive in that moment, what we are doing is posturing ourselves away from God. God is calling out to us, and we hear him, and we're turning away. And we're called, if we want the peace of God, after we've made peace with God, then the secret is posturing myself toward God. 
And God says, hey, you need to do this. You need to walk out your repentance and obedience. And I step into that. Then I begin to experience the peace of God. And that is an incredible experience. Because here's the deal. And all that I've been describing here is that even though we make peace with God, we feel both the presence of Christ and the pressure of sin. <laughs> like we all do. Now, who does not struggle with sin? I mean, even myself, man, I struggle with sin, and I feel the presence of sin in my life. I also feel, uh, or I feel the pressure of sin, and I feel the presence of Christ. It's like we live as both kings and slaves in this, this body, this tent of flesh. And we will become one day, and Paul is kind of painting that picture, one day we will become what Christ has done. We will take on the imperishable, and we will no longer struggle in this tent of flesh. But until that day, we're called to overcome. And so here's sin that is presenting itself. I'm trying to posture myself against or toward the Lord. Everything around me um, in a spiritual sense, in a warfare sense, is trying to get me to posture away from God. That is sin itself. And so I'm, I'm trying to overcome in the midst of this. And thank the Lord, he's given us the Holy Spirit that helps us to do that. And, and how is that happening? Well, here's the second point. We change in standing with God. Once we make peace with God, there is a change in our standing. We once were standing in one position, and now we're standing in a new position. He says to us um, that, uh, he says that we have, in verse 11, he says we're justified through faith, we have peace with God, and then, uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, that's verse 1. Verse 2, he says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Okay, and what do we do? We now stand in it. So we've gained access to grace in which we now stand. Now, this access into grace which we now stand is divine favor. This is pretty cool if you stop to think about it. Before I am in an enemy of Christ, I'm an enemy of God because there is no sacrifice to um, justify me in God's presence. So God cannot maintain his holiness and be in relationship with me and look upon me favorably because I am an enemy of his. But once I am justified because of the sacrifice that he made and I'm relying on his righteousness, my standing is changed. Now I stand in grace. I don't stand condemned by the law, which Paul has been teaching us all the way through the first four chapters. He was teaching us the importance of the law and how the law shows us that we sin and we're condemned by the law. Now I stand in grace and God can now look at me with favor as I'm posturing toward him in obedience. The, the phrase here, gained access, is uh, the Greek word prosegogen, and it means privilege of approach, a person of high rank. So the person goes from no rank to high rank. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 says this, in him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
So we move from this place that we really sometimes, even if we believe in God but don't know God, we have a fear of God and we're afraid God may crush us or we're afraid God acts like a policeman who would catch us when we're speeding or the principal um, catch us doing something wrong, right, in school. We, we, we kind of have a concept of God that way. But whenever we make peace with God, we now have access And this fear, we still have a fear, but it is a holy fear, and we have a reverence for God, and he changes our position. He changes our standing. I'm now no longer standing as an enemy. I'm standing in grace that he has given me access to as a high-ranking individual in the kingdom, and I can boldly approach his, his throne. This is why we constantly are teaching you to pray. It is, it is a right that you have as a high-ranking person in the kingdom that not everyone has. Every, there are a lot of people in the world, there are a lot of people in America, there are a lot of people in Overland Park who pray. But there are not a lot of people who are talking and in communication with God. You say, well, what's the difference? It's the rank. It's the standing what is the, how do I get the rank and get the standing? You have to be justified. Well, is that dependent upon how long I've been serving the Lord? No, it is dependent upon whether or not you are justified in Christ and you are no longer standing as an enemy of his, but now you are standing as an officer of his within the kingdom. You have been changed into royalty. You have the high priesthood of the believer. We are a royal priesthood, the scripture teaches us, and we boldly approach the throne of grace. And the reason it is hard for you to pray is because the enemy is teaching you you are still a slave and you're listening to the wrong voice and you don't believe that your prayers have any impact. But once you begin to believe in faith that you have access by into the grace and standing that you are in, that God hears you when you speak, you no longer begin to think that you need to have a holy person praying for you. You have come to the conclusion that you are a holy person and God listens to you. Why does he listen to you? Because you have been changed by him. He listens to you because as you talk to him in this manner, he is hearing his child. He is hearing really himself that dwells in you as he's shaping you. And that, that changes prayer. Now I'm not praying to try to please God. I'm praying to try to commune with God that God might change me into that process of sanctification to taking on more of the character of Christ because of my heart of obedience that is born out of love, not born out of performance, just desires to do it. And so sometimes you see a person and you go, man, they're, they're, I, I look up to them. They're, such, they're a spiritual giant. They pray. They talk to the Lord. They read the Bible. And I want to do that. And, and, and you think, well, I'm going to try to be like them. And you start trying to do that. And then you get frustrated because you're not getting any movement. What you have to understand is the secret to everything they're doing is based upon their access having been shifted. It's changed. They're no longer, it's not about what, they're not doing those things simply because they're trying to please God. They have recognized they please God. And so now they just want to do those things. And they enter into this incredible relationship with him. And, and so we stand, <laughs> we move, we stand in this sphere of grace. And we access it by faith in which Christ himself has put us in that position. 
And Paul says that our hope does not disappoint. Why? Why does our hope not disappoint? He says our hope is not, not, does not put us to shame. Why is that the case? Because it is centered on Jesus. It rests 100% on Jesus and 0% on me. And so it, it just shifts my whole mindset. And so the Holy Spirit, what does he do in this instance? It says that in hope, and our hope does not put us to shame. This is verse 5. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the Holy Spirit pours out. What does this word pour out? He expresses. So the Holy Spirit's role is this consistent expression of the love of God. What does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you, and he will teach you how to follow God. He will teach you how to follow Jesus, and he will remind you of things that have been taught, and he will love you. Okay, so he will convict you of sin. Why does he convict you of sin? So that you have guilt? No, so that you can recognize there's something in your life right here that is, is pulling away from your freedom. It's keeping you from being all that you were originally designed to be. So the Holy Spirit begins to convict you in that moment, and our objective is to posture toward the Lord, and we, he shows us where, what is wrong in our lives. We posture toward him, and he begins to give us a plan for how we can walk out obedience in that moment. And as we walk out that obedience, he expresses his love to us. And the world knows that we belong to Jesus because of our obedience. And why do we obey? Is it because we're trying to please him? No, it's because we already have. We're blown away by the fact that we are in a right relationship with God and it creates a heart of obedience inside of us. And this is why we are able to boast in the glory of Christ. We boast in his glory. We brag on Jesus. We boast in the glory of the Lord because in that moment of obedience, we are being like Christ who had a heart of obedience, even though the enemy come to him and tempted him and tried to, to get him to do all of these things to circumvent and go the back door of living your life, go around, enter a depraved way of thinking. He says, no, he claims the word. He recites the word to him and he shows how to walk out obedience. That is the will of God. And as we do that, we are able able to share in his glory because he shares his glory with us. Anyways, I tell you guys all the time, everybody ought to have to preach one sermon. It'll grow your faith. Like, you have to get up in front of a group of people and you're going to teach from the word of God about what it means to follow God. You will start to pray, okay? Because you're like, that is a huge task. But here, and, and, and sometimes it's burdensome, uh, it's hard sometimes you get a call and you, you got to go do a funeral. You got to go minister to somebody in family in the hospital who, who's just lost their, their baby, <laughs> you know, or I've, I've had all of these experiences that are extremely intimidating. They're frightening. Um, and you step into them and you really don't know what you're going to say. But that's the beauty of it, because now you're going to go in faith, believing that the Lord is going to do exactly what he said. The spirit of God who has poured out into my heart and expressed to me, expressing his love to me, will give me the words that I'm to say in that moment. And as that happens, here's as with, with all of the things that sometimes we look at, we paint this picture of ministry and it can, it can, it comes with a lot of difficulties. Okay. 
doesn't come with a lot of wealth, doesn't come with a lot of simplicity. Uh, ministering to the people of God is not the easiest thing to do, to be a shepherd of God's people, and it comes with its challenges. And so a lot of times we are good about describing the challenges, and I think that, that helps people have empathy toward us, and that's probably why we do it. But here's the other side of the coin. Like, there's nothing like preaching a sermon and having God use you and his shares his glory with you. There's nothing like going to the hospital, not having the words to say, and the words come out of your mouth, and you're driving home, and you get a text from someone who says, you don't understand how much God comforted me in that moment. That is Christ sharing his glory with us. And that is the beauty of being in ministry is you get to experience that a lot. And once you taste it, you really enjoy it because it becomes one of the most meaningful things in life. And so what do we do in discipleship? <clears throat> we try to help you experience those things because that's what motivates us to continue to want to posture back toward Christ and experience the much more that Paul is talking about that we might share and boast in his glory. But not only do we boast in his glory, Paul says, we boast in suffering. You know, say, what? Say, yo, I'm suffering this week. How you doing? I'm suffering. Thank the Lord I'm in this place of... That, that sounds so crazy. We have peace and standing, but we still face problems. And the problems, God allows us to experience the problems for a couple of reasons. One, they grow us, and two, they grow the kingdom. And so as we go through struggle, people in the world who are also struggling see us struggle in a different way than they do, and they see us being able to boast in our suffering, and they see and recognize something that is missing in their lives that they too yearn for. And so I liken this. I don't know why I... Um, I see this, but I do. Um, what time do we start? I always forget. 9.30? Nine. Nine. So I, I need to be almost done, right? Yeah. Well, that's not good. <laughs> 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 but I, I, I see this a bit as, as like a, a snow globe, okay? And so like you, you got a snow globe and and, and the person's, like, the person, especially a snow globe in the, in the hands of a kid. Everything's perfect in there. You know, <laughs> suffering. And you turn that thing, and it's all standing because it's centered on something. So the believer, his life sometimes is like the snow globe in the hands of the enemy. And maybe even God tilting it and jolting it every once in a while to help us grow. And things feel like they're shaking all around, but when we stop and we look, we see there's a beautiful picture in there with all of the chaos because that person is standing and they are standing in grace. They're centered on Christ. And, and here, here's what this does. This is so important, is we have peace with God, we change in standing with God, and we enter the cycle of spiritual bliss. And, and this, this is what carries us through. This is how we follow Jesus. This is so necessary for the disciple of Christ, is understanding spiritual bliss. That's what I think Paul is talking about. It starts with hope. He says we start with hope in, in Christ. And then he says suffering pr produces for us 
perseverance. As the snow globe is being shaken, it produces perseverance in us. And perseverance, he says, produces character. Because as everything is being shaken and I feel like giving up and posturing this way, I posture back toward the Lord. I'm centered. And as that centering takes place in the midst of that suffering, my character is growing. And as my character grows, that character produces what? Hope. It's a cycle. You start with hope and you end up with greater hope. And then you go through it again. You start with hope, and you end up with greater hope. And because of our um, our American spirit, uh, American attitude, and can-do spirit of achievement and success, we often that creeps over into our Christianity, and we think that when I become a follower of Jesus, and I'm justified in Christ, I'm going to follow Christ for a certain number of years, and then I'm going to get there. No, you're not. <laughs> You're not going to get there until you get there. And until then, you just overcome. And, and what, hope, what you hope is, and you hope in, is you hope in um, the, perseverance, the perseverance. You're able, as James says, to consider it all joy when you fall into the, uh, various trials. And, and you, that perseverance will um, uh, produce character in you. And that character, again, will produce hope. And the hope is growing. And it's become a greater and greater and greater and greater until you get the glory. And so in those moments, you're entering into a, a cycle of spiritual growth that consistently increases our hope. And our hope, when we have hope and we, we continue to fix our hope on Jesus in the midst of all of these different circumstances, we are able to glorify God with our lives and we become the true worshipers that Jesus talked about. And we access it by faith. And when it happens, we rejoice in exaltation of the glory of God of what he's doing inside of my life. And so I'm not trying to do these things to get God to pour something out on, in me. God is trying to pour something out in me, and as he's pouring, I'm doing. And it's coming out of the overflow of my life as I walk in a spirit of uh, or a cycle of spiritual bliss and joy. The fruit of the spirit of joy comes out of my life, and I am able to rejoice. I call this um, the transmission of transformation. Now, I'm a gearhead. I love cars. Um, but you've got this motor in the front of the car, and it generates all of the power. And we have to get that power to the axles in order to produce movement in the vehicle. And the way that we do that is by a transmission. It takes the power from the engine, and it moves it to the drivetrain, drive and now the car is gaining momentum. The same thing happens in the kingdom, is that as we um, are drawn to the Lord and in faith, we believe that God is doing something, he begins to transform our lives. And the more we allow him to transform our lives and we walk out our obedience before the Lord, then our faith takes is, is taking the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, and because of our standing with Christ, we are in covenant with him. It is trans, 
third or two through the transmission of faith into the engines of our lives and our body begins to take on momentum for the kingdom and now we are having rule over our own spirit instead of being a city that is without walls and easily invaded now we are becoming more than conquerors we're overcomers and we are moving toward a state that we will become all that Christ has for us to be but in the midst of it man we are walking out our faith And so our faith is rooted in the obedience that we are stepping into. Your faith is not rooted in you coming to church this week. Like, that's a good thing. There's some obedience in that. But you want to take what you're learning from the Word, what the Holy Spirit is showing you, and step into obedience. And you do that in faith. Because it always requires us, faith is one of these things that we're always feeling a little bit unsure. We're always feeling a little bit unsure. Can I do this? And then we're depending on the Lord in faith, and he brings us through that moment. And and then in that moment, in that perseverance, our character is developed that produces this greater hope within us. And so here's the deal, is that as we we transmit through faith, we, we transmit the fa- power of God into our lives, we start to be transformed. The big idea of today's talk, or sermon, Abby tells me I should say sermon. Sermon. <laughs> Learn to enjoy peace with God. That's what we need to do. We need to learn to enjoy Peace with God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that is actually, with that, the way that is written in the Greek, it is, let us keep on rejoicing. Ultimately, we will share in, in his full glory one day. But we rejoice because even though we know we fall short, which he has taught us, every, we all fall short of the glory of God. Even though we know we fall short, he has placed us in a position of grace where he shares his glory with us. And so what has happened, watch this, is God has manifested his love through the historical event of the crucifixion. Back 2,000 years ago, God manifested his love. He revealed his love to the world. Okay? It's a historical event. The love is applied by the Holy Spirit through faith. Just because something happened does not mean that it is transmitted into your life. And just because you were baptized does not mean it was transmitted into your life. And just because you took communion doesn't mean it was transmitted into your life. The only way it is transmitted into your life is that you access it by grace and your standing is changed and that which was manifested is poured into your life. And you are transformed into a new creature. Now you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you have a desire no longer to posture away from God, but posture to God. And so now you go through perseverance, you go through trials, you go through suffering. They create, um, uh, that suffering creates the perseverance, that perseverance character, that character hope. And when you experience that hope and that obedience that you're walking in, you rejoice and exalt in the glory of God. And you just keep doing that over and over. And then you're walking in this place of spiritual bliss, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, you are able to draw on the spiritual fruit of the Lord. 
Once justified, a believer never makes peace with God again. <laughs> Does it make any sense? We just learn to enjoy it. <laughs> That's our problem. And we don't know how to enjoy the peace that we've made. And so this week, um, downstairs, your kids, man, they learned about the story of Elijah being taken up in the chariot. And, they, and so the chariots were coming, and man, the whirlwind, and Elijah said, Elisha said to Elijah, Elijah kept saying, hey, I'm going here, you stay here. And Elijah said, no, I'm not, I'm going with you, bro. And he did it three times, I, I'm going on to Jordan, no, I'm going with you, bro. And then finally, Elijah says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Because all the prophets kept saying, Elijah's going to be taken today, Elijah's going to be taken today. And Elisha says, I would that you would, I would be granted a double portion of the spirit that God has put in you that he'd give me twice as much. And Elijah says to him, Elisha, if you see me taken up, you'll get it. And in that moment, it says that a, whirl, a chariot came down, a chariot of fire came like a whirlwind and, and came between them and took Elijah up. And immediately, Elisha was blessed with a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And I see that as Old Testament spiritual bliss. And that was when God supernaturally would come over a person and anoint them for a specific work. But in the New Testament, when people's standing is changed, we are all indwelt with the Spirit of God. And we can walk in spiritual bliss. And so I would encourage you, one, to make sure that you have made peace with God. And if you have made peace with God, have some conversations about the spiritual bliss of God I'm with your kids this week and your family. Don't let everything be just rooted about in little league and academic work. There is a spiritual development that needs to be going on as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, thank you today for spiritual bliss. Thank you that we can walk in it. Thank you, Lord, that it's really quite simple. But just rest in you and we walk out our obedience. And we pray as a body of believers that you would help us much more, as Paul said, to be more effective at teaching disciples how to do this so that the kingdom can just keep pouring out much more, much more, much more. And that we would be a body of believers that is watching that happen. It's happening in our children where it's happening in our students, where it's happening in our homes, Lord, in our marriages, in our, in our careers, in our friendships. Everywhere we go, Lord, that the spiritual bliss of the kingdom is coming out of us. And so we love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, for those who may need to make peace with you today. And that today would be the day that they raise the white flag of their lives and make peace with you. And those who may be postured away from you, Lord, that today would be a day of confession where they repent and posture back toward you. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.